Welcome to Good Revenue, where we discuss monetization, go-to-market, and revenue growth. I'm your host, Nitha Bidway. We're here to discuss what we can do to influence more effectively, improve profitability, and sustainably grow revenue while delivering more value to customers over time. Thanks for joining us. Today at Good Revenue, we're joined by Carrie Holtz. Carrie is an executive with more than two decades of experience at Alex Partners and PwC. She's an expert in organizational transformations and turnarounds, and she has deep expertise in human resources and people management. Today, she's also an executive coach working with high-performing senior executives, the kind of people who are already highly successful in their professional lives and are focused on getting even better. Carrie shares compelling insights with us about what distinguishes high-performance teams from any other. I hope you'll find this very useful and informative as you're thinking about what your organization can do to better balance short and long-term priorities in support of your business goals. We're here today with a very accomplished and exciting guest, Carrie Holtz. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you for that kind introduction. Oh, it's my pleasure. You have been so generous to give us some of your time. You have such a thrilling career. I'm really excited for our listeners to get to hear a little bit about you. And I didn't want to steal your thunder. So I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and and maybe the big question is, how did you get to where you are today? Oh, well, I'll start with that big question. I think <laughs> The common theme through everything has been just kind of commitment to my personal values, which has been around excellence and a growth mindset and just having fun and building on relationships. So who I am, um, in a nutshell, I'm a business professional. Grew up in the Midwest, so I have Midwest values, but I've been in the New York City area for over 30 years and spent the past 20 some years as an HR executive and leader in that space, mostly in professional service firms, so high-performing consulting firms. And before that, was a consultant for 10 years. Um, that's where I started my career, working with companies in distress, turnarounds and restructurings. Which is one of the things I was so struck by when we first met, because I think that there is so much opportunity that comes out of businesses at a time that is understandably really difficult for employees, for stakeholders, for anyone who's kind of helped to build that enterprise. And I think that at least my sense kind of looking at it from my perspective is that there there's just a there's an untapped wealth of insights, I think, in that space that a lot of us don't think about. And I'm, I'm curious, I mean, wh- what was that journey like? Because you've had such breadth, was it what you anticipated? Were there some things that were surprising? Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I mean, simply put, it's not a straight line. There's lots of zigs and zags, some which are obvious. I think most importantly, though, it's taking those pauses and really reflecting at different points around, you know, is this fulfilling? Am I exponentially growing? Does this work feel good and meaningful to me? Is this what I need at this point in my life, given other competing demands, you know? got married, I had children. And is this coming, yeah, coming back to those values, is this really filling my heart? And it's hard, especially when we're on, you know, what often feels like that hamster wheel, you know, running and running and running, but we have to drive our own careers. We have to take these pauses and reflect, 
and even what we're doing, even in that moment of what we're doing, is this the right decision? Is this where my team and I should be investing our attention? Is this we're going to get the greatest return of this investment right now? So it was hard. There's moments where it's really difficult. Um, I felt you know, stuck. I faced fear. Um, easy to look back on hard when you're in that moment. I think that's really well said. I fully agree with that. What do you think was particularly rewarding or what are you most proud of in your career so far? Great question. I don't think about that as often as I should. Um, one, well, a couple things. One is just more life than career per se, but it just that I took that bold step and left Michigan, which is where I grew up, went to school. I knew no one. Did that again when I moved to the New York area. Um, one thing I'm really proud of, I was recognized by the leader of the restructuring practice. I was going to leave and go back to business school. And and he essentially said, look, stay. We want, you know, we want to invest in you. We'll pay for your education. So that was really fantastic. And then some of it is making those hard decisions, facing my fear, overcoming that, making those shifts. You know, I moved from being a consultant into HR. I knew nothing about HR other than from a couple of classes I took when I was at Columbia getting my MBA. But that's where learning and growth is so exponential. So I think I'm proud of just taking those big, bold steps. I can see that. And I can see how that would translate. Um, all of that experience has obviously enabled you to help companies think through some of their bigger challenges around transformation and turnarounds and restructuring. What is your perspective on this kind of work as you look at it today, I mean, you now work with senior executives, and so they're really the operators. But given that you've been an operator and are now in this kind of advisory, um, you know, and, and coaching uh, role, what's your perspective on that work now? Let me just get clarity specifically on like turnarounds or restructurings. Yes. Or just, okay. Yeah, I was curious about that. I, I mean, feel free to take that in a in a broader direction. But I, I in, maybe maybe some more context too is just you know we've gone through such a. Um, you know, almost a 15-year period of insane growth that felt like it would never end. And then the last, you know, couple of years coming out of COVID have been, I think, more uncertain for just about everyone, even people who are very successful. And so I do think there are lots of questions around um, what maybe it's not as formal as a turnaround or restructuring, but certainly like, is this the right business model? Have we set our organizations up for success? Like those are topics I think that are top of mind. Um, so that's why what that was why that's particularly interesting to me. Yeah. Has a few thoughts. I mean, one is just the importance of it's very lonely at the top. So, you know, one thing I see common thread with all of my executives is they need that space to really think strategically and to reflect and evaluate, is this the best management team? Are we making the right decisions? Are there ways that this transformation or the way we're operating our business or their divisions that might be more, we may be more productive, effective as a company if we let go of this, sell this off? Um, are we making the right long-term decisions in line? Are people in line with those long-term decisions? And one thing I often see and saw in my HR roles is, is our compensation. And the way we are recognizing and rewarding people in line with our longer-term decisions. So whether it's a transformation or a restructuring, you know, often 
or turnaround often or selling off a division of the business, whatever may be happening, everyone needs to kind of embrace as opposed to fear. Embrace these opportunities as ways to just evolve and grow and have the best outcome long-term. And it's just like each of us in our careers, it's not a straight line. There's lots of zigs and zags, and we need to constantly pause and look at that fork in the road or evaluate those different forks and directions and think through what makes the most sense for us at this point, given the climate, given interest rates, you know, given what what we're facing, um, at least those knowns. So that's interesting. When like maybe building off of that, what do you think people get wrong about turnarounds and transformation? Because I think you're alluding to that a little bit in the um, maybe the potential for the opportunity, which of course is really hard when you're in it. I mean, I have been there. We've all been there. Like it's it's easy to say to someone else, I think, but hard when you're living it. Yeah, there's a lot of misperception, I think, um, particularly around bankruptcy, chapter 11. It really allows a company to get a fresh start or a division, right, to get a fresh start by uh, both scaling back the business so that they can really maximize profits. Um, they can ensure there's a strong recovery to the creditors. And there's a whole domino effect too with the restructuring. So for example, if many people think restructuring chapter 11 means we're liquidating the business. It's not that at all. It just allows you to pause at that moment in time, figure out how to settle those debts. If you were to liquidate, all these employees would lose their jobs. All these suppliers, vendors to the company would potentially have a domino effect and lose that business. So it just, it, it allows a fresh start. Um, it allows like a, a healthy reset to get to set that business up for future success. What do you think senior leaders should be thinking about if they're evaluating again whether it's a formal restructuring or if there's, you know, some other something else that's pretty transformational to the business, what should they consider? Yeah. One of my favorite questions regardless is what's going well and what would be even better. And I think they need to often take time and and think about that and discuss it with their executive team and really brainstorm around what can we do that would be even better, better for our employees, better for you know our customers, and how do we get there? So you, that you can ultimately like maximize the return on your investment. Like that one commodity for all of us is our time and how we're spending it. Yeah, I think we work in a very dynamic world. Things are changing all the time. So really pausing and taking that moment um, to explore where we are on this journey of transformation and how do we get to that next new peak? What makes the most sense given given where we are? And talking to one another so that you know if something happens in the technology side, which has an impact on the overall business, everyone's aware of that and can kind of adjust. Yeah, I think that situational awareness gets lost sometimes because again, you're in it, you're in the fire, you you can lose that perspective um, easily. And it, it also ties into a topic that comes up a lot for me and has been you know one of the the core themes of this podcast which is what is that right balance between short and long term right it's it's a perennial challenge for anyone in business i have, i have some thoughts on this but again your perspective is is particularly interesting like where where do you think leaders like how should leaders approach this if they're trying to find a balance there or 
trying to get some perspective on on uh, on you know on how to approach things. What I how I like to think of it, it, my overall kind of approach is less is more. So long term, what are two or three? No more, but two or three big goals that we want to achieve as a company, and then okay, an alignment around that. Everyone agrees. Okay, well, short term, like what does that look like? Our milestones. What are our milestones in nine months? What are our milestones in six months? What are our milestones in three months? You could break that down, whatever makes sense for your business, but so that there are short-term, even weekly. You know, what do we need to achieve weekly? So that there are short-term milestones, benchmarks that help to get towards that long-term goal, and then all the related rules or understandings. What's profit? What what revenue sales are going to actually be profitable for us versus, you know, are we going to invest in this so we can, because we're a lost leader right now, but, you know, and how does that fit into those longer term goals and being really conscious and aware and alignment as a team with your respective teams aligned on that? What are your thoughts? I fully agree. I think alignment, is, I'm trying not to laugh because I feel like it's a word I probably am overusing these days. But I do think that if you're to pick one thing that is off in in a team or an organization that isn't maybe where they want to be, it's alignment. It's a lack of alignment. That's what I find. You know, people and I'm, the other thing I find interesting, I'd be curious to know if this happens in your um, in your work and practice. I think oftentimes the CEO or the very senior team think that everyone is in alignment. And then when you go one click down or you ask executives individually, what is that long-term goal? And, and to your point, what are a couple of short-term things that we're doing to get there? All the answers are different. This comes up constantly in positioning work and like long-term strategy work that we do. So I don't, and actually that relates to, do you think, do you think that, um, that leaders have a good sense of that? Like, do they, you know, are they able to strike that balance or like, what do they get right or wrong? Because again, you're in a position where I think you can see patterns. So are any of those maybe helpful to our audience? What I witness both it, as a professional and, and now as an executive coach for the past few years, um, I think it's cloudy. And what I mean by that is I think that a lot of leaders, they're setting too many goals and then there's just not enough conversation around it. They might have a formal process in place like, let's set our goals and we'll check in at six months, but it, it should be less about kind of a formal professional goal planning process and more around the dialogue could be part of standing one-on-one weekly agendas with your you know team around how how are things going getting really crystal clear around what we want to accomplish and checking in frequently and and leaders coaching their direct reports um, to help them independently drive towards those goals and and think through their challenges so I'm seeing in some places it's done reasonably well. It just, it takes focus. It takes attention. It takes a real commitment to getting really crystal clear around what those goals are and what great looks like and that constant mindset and attention to what would be even better. So we, for that continuous improvement and then sharing, you know, look, it kind of comes back a little bit to what I was saying, but like nothing's a straight line. There's lots of zigzags. There's so many dynamics in the world we're living in. Things change all the time. And so being able to be agile and shift 
and really think through strategically, what does this mean for our business? And then having those conversations. What I hear you saying in there too, is that there is a journey in getting to wherever you're trying to go. And it's, it feels additional to me beyond setting setting the destination, the goal, and the executional work. And it feels like there's a there's some middle there that I think we discount. Absolutely. And I think that journey is just as important, if not as important, as that goal. And so, you know, if you you think about it, I mean, I love to hike. So you think about it as like just hiking. And for me, at least when I'm out on a trail, being out in the fresh air allows me to think and consider, okay, you come to, you know, which way do I want to go? And you have to enjoy that journey too. And you have to continue to think, is this the right way? And is this where I should step, you know, as a metaphor? Do I walk through this puddle? Do I step around it? It's just that. And whatever your sport or interest painting may be, right, it's all part of that journey towards that finished product. And we have to really be aware and cognizant and reflective as we're creating that masterpiece, as we're achieving that goal. You've worked with a lot of different types of teams. So another area of pattern recognition I'm curious about is around high-performance companies, high-performance teams. What do you think those types of organizations do differently and what can what can we learn from them? Yeah, so um, thank you for that. I mean, two of the organizations that I spent significant time with Majority of my careers was PricewaterhouseCoopers and Alex Partners, both who are global consulting firms and um, highly selected in the talent that they hire, develop, and special cultures. So, yeah, that's one of them. I mean, one thing that high performance, and then a bunch of my clients, um, and I learned a lot from them. So, exceptional culture is an important one. Um, and what that looks like, um, there's great communications, they're, they're listening. Leaders are really listening to their folks, uh, to their people, to their direct reports, as well as to their, you know, juniors. And those employees feel heard, they feel understood, and they feel comfortable sharing knowledge. There's also a culture of inclusion and belonging. They feel that regardless of their differences, they're respected, and those differences are embraced. And how that shows up is inviting them to the conversations, respecting, embracing different points of view. You know, coming back to that initial point of feeling heard and understood and, and being comfortable. Um, and even if the outcome is different, they had a part in that process and they are different from what they thought. And, you know, hopefully they're brought along on that journey. And the other piece, there's more, so much more to all of this, but the other piece of culture that I think is really critical is that there's really clear values. The company or organization has clear values, a clear mission. There's a clear vision. It may change, but that's articulated. So that drives connection. Um, it drives alignment like we talked about, and it really results in efficiencies um, to our outcomes. Oh, it really resonates with me. I think I think you're right. I, and I, I, I think the, um, the liking inclusiveness has become a little bit of a buzzword. I really believe in it. And I do think that I think people are are appreciative on every level when they really believe that they belong in an organization. And one of the words I heard you say that really resonates with me is respect, which isn't a word I think we talk enough about. But I do think, again, that people people want to feel valued, not that you 
say you have values, but you know, at the end of the day, so that you you know you see me as a, a human and a professional, hopefully a competent one, and and I think everyone wants that. So I, I think that really resonates. Yeah, a good part of my career, particularly when I was a consultant, was you couldn't voice a different point of view, or you know you were shamed or or looked upon. And we had today, not all companies do this or do it well, but yeah. the good companies, those that are really have. I think that our high-performing and exceptional cultures embrace those different points of view. Do you think that these apply to organizations at any size or scale? I mean, I'd like to see it apply. I can't think of a situation where it wouldn't, um, but this is just my perception because uh, I, I do some more pro bono work and observance work with nonprofits and Again, this is more, might be more, but some of them are not as far along on this journey as compared to when you, you know, you look at some of these, some firms that are, are leaders in high performing top talent. Yeah. Another thing I think that really high performing companies do, um, and again, this is perhaps not in any particular order, perhaps they're all very equally balanced, but they invest in their people and they share knowledge and they make that a priority, both company wide and individually. So, that can look a lot of different ways. It actually provides those companies that are best at it, offer a lot of variety based on what works best for the individual. But it's real, I think it's really important. Um, yes, you learn a lot on the job. I mean, that's the majority of learning happens in your role if you're being stretched, appropriately stretched. Um, and again, I'm not thinking about, you know, companies where you're just running on a assembly line, you know, I'm thinking about more consulting firms, high performing organizations, but um, they're really supportive of networking. They're providing very informative data and metrics to help manage results. So you know what's working well and what's not. Um, and they're investing in their all levels of talent, not just their top talent. And that kind of goes hand in hand along with that whole spirit of continuous improvement. So these high performing companies are um, it's okay to make a mistake as long as like we learn from it. You know, it comes back to that what went well, what would have been even better. You know, no, no perfection does not exist. So, um, opportunity to really embrace failures, to learn, to improve, to celebrate what went well, recognize people's accomplishments, and think about ways that things could be even better, which includes like how can we further drill down into our data and provide analytics so we have a real good pulse around what's going well. But the last piece of this is they really treat all of their employees like owners of the business. People feel like even if they don't technically have equity, they feel like they're an owner. They're incentivized to think. And ideally those, even if it's like a phantom stock plan, but you know, if they can have some or an ESOP, you know, an equities stock ownership plan where they can have some ownership in the business really makes a big difference. Uh, people will bring their best. They'll, you know, it'll incentivize to to really think like an owner and get a high return, long term success. I think this is an incredible list. I mean, I really, I, I think these are really um, thoughtful components that any executive should really include. And it relates to the 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 other question that I, I think goes hand in hand with this, which is. You know, CEOs, I think, are under a unique level of pressure right now, again, because I think the world is is changing and 
And um, as we're recording this, it's, you know, it's gotten particularly intense again for many people around the world. What kind of advice would you give CEOs? Like what is what is the top advice? And and maybe I'll also just add a little context of, you know, you you coach CEOs and you coach um, top executives and you're helping people improve their performance and to really build these high performing organizations and teams and, and themselves. So if it if that kind of relates to the work you do, you know, feel free to to tell us about that too. But yeah, I'm curious to know what your advice would be. Yeah. Uh, from my perspective, one of the most important things I think every CEO, frankly, every executive, it's very lonely at the top. I think they all need an executive coach to help them, to challenge them, help point out when they're making assumptions, be a thought partner, help them you know, get crystal clear about their goals and how things are shifting and what does that mean constantly kind of keep a pulse on what's going on in their business. Certainly, they need to um, be really crystal clear around their top priorities. And as that changes, that's fine. Uh, But what's truly going to be essential long-term for our business and for profitable growth and, and to meet some of the specific goals that may be in place with their investors, with their boards. One thing I see often that I don't think enough CEOs and perhaps executives are thinking about is, is this the best team that I can have in place? They really need an exceptional team of leaders that can help raise the bar and develop the team underneath them, strong succession plan, and thought partners to the CEO so that you know the operational functions are just exceptional, top-notch, and they're driving kind of a, a in developing a team that um, can accelerate the impact that they want to see. And I think this is true, you know, just for perspective. I mean, a lot of this is very broad. Each each individual has their own challenges and, and development opportunities to work through. But whether someone's a new CEO or new to the executive ranks, or they've been in that role for 25 years, they're still growing. They're still developing. And the ways to do that and the ways to think about just responding to the, their climate that they're operating in is important. No one's on auto drive. Yeah. I think it's that ongoing investment that you're alluding to. I think sometimes people forget about it when they're in the thick of things. So just building on our on that discussion about CEOs, I think executive coaching is incredibly helpful. I have been very fortunate in my career to have worked with some you know, just really fantastic resources, both of whom had been executives themselves previously, and it was a real benefit to me. And you today are a coach to some you know, very senior executives. And so I would love to know, what does that work look like? What are maybe some of the misperceptions that, um, that people might have about coaching? Um, yeah, why don't we start there? Sure. I think a common mis- misperception, and I, th- I think this is changing, but is that it's used for people who are underperforming. And it's actually the opposite. It's those folks who work with an executive coach, at least my clients and most people's clients are actually high performing. And they want that thought partner to help them be even better. It's not, it's a gift, but it's not for a gap. Um, Think about athletes professional athletes, like they all have coaches, again, because they're talented and it's helping them show up as their best. 
and pointing out to them what they're doing really well and what they could tweak to have even a greater impact. And then the question around um, what does it look like? So a standard, you know, kind of working with a client, we often will start with a 360 assessment. I like, there's a few out there that I really like. One is emotional intelligence, um, because I think that those who are highly effective leaders are highly emotionally intelligent and continuing to work on those skills. And, And so that helps build their awareness and understand their perceptions of how they see themselves showing up, how their peers see them showing up, how their you know, the board or their bosses, supervisors see them showing up, direct reports. And this is with the EQI, it's across 15 dimensions. So you really can understand, okay, whether it's decision-making or independence or whatever the dynamic may be, where there are blind spots and then some strategies for uh, what they want to improve. So that's that's one piece of it. Um, but it's more than just working with executives. It's a lot more than just their self-awareness and their leadership. It's it's also um, like we've talked about, like, what are their obstacles? What are things that are getting in their way? Um, what's the most important path forward? What will they do? Being an accountability partner to taking that baby step and moving forward on those specific actions. And a lot, you know, a lot of leaders, including executives, they often will have one or two things that they're struggling with. It might be delegation, believe it or not, like, or control. They're micromanaging. It may be people management and and talent management skills. They're not coaching their direct reports. They're not comfortable having those difficult conversations. Those are just examples of things that where, you know, I have a lot of experience and help them kind of improve and show up as their best selves. I think that resonates with me too, because I agree and I've seen the same, which is that it's to help good or even great people get better. It's like fine tuning. Because I think also by the time you've risen to be an executive, the challenges are the things that you're trying to tackle. Like there's so much nuance to them. You know, it's not like, hey, we need you to take better notes in the meeting or whatever. It's like, you know, it's it's a it's um it's a it's highly skilled. And so I do, yeah, it, it makes it again, I think it's very compelling. Yeah. And there's just been so much going on in our world. Right. Like even in this present moment, there's so much conflict. And and so how does a leader show up? And what, you know, thinking through how do they want to show up? What do they want to communicate? How do they want to support their organization? What does this mean for our business? What changes do we need to make? You know, pointing out what assumptions are you making? Because more often than not, that's a blind spot that leaders don't necessarily recognize. And it, you know, coming back to good revenue, um, you know, what what assumptions are being made? How educated are those assumptions for you know making those right longer term decisions or short term decisions? Is what else could we do to really unpack? You know, one related question is um, as you're talking about some of this. How long do you think someone should work with a coach? And should it be the same coach or, you know, or do would you, you know, is it is it kind of like a, you know, it's a mechanic for an executive um, where maybe there are different types of coaches you'd work with at different periods of time? It's a great question. I think it's very personal. To me, it's a, it depends type of answer. 
there's there are some clients that they're you know they in four to six months they're well on their way and and there are others that I've been working with for years and it becomes because their goals their vision continuously change and they love that thought partnership that trust you know it's lonely and it's a great question around even changing things up. I think it's really important also to be reflective of I getting everything I need from this coaching relationship. You know, what's missing or what would be better? I, I do think it's healthy, similar to how we choose professionals and, you know, whether it's a doctor or a therapist to re continue, you know, reevaluate. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you for all of this. It's been so helpful. And I think our, our audience will find it really fascinating as well. Before we let you go, there are two questions I would love to ask. The first is, um, which book, or if there's more than one, that's great too, has made an impression on you or changed your thinking the most? And maybe tell us why. Um, so the one book this year that I read that I recommend for any business professional is the book Essentialism by Greg McKeown, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. There's so many leaders that just feel so overwhelmed and stretched. They may be overworked. They may feel that they don't own their time as being hijacked. Um, and they're not as productive as they could be. And essentialism really is around getting the right things done and being highly focused on what's truly essential. Being able to say, no, not now. Uh, I'm a big believer, less is best, less is more. And so it's about a systematic, disciplined approach to really being discerning about what's absolutely essential and then eliminating everything else that's not so that you know your time, your energy is focused on those highest priorities and contributions to areas that truly matter. You can really move the needle. So I loved that book. Um, I think it's for me one that I'm gonna come back to time and time again uh, to listen to. And, you know, for context, it was recommended to me by a client. So, you know, there's so much power, knowledge shared in the coaching, which I then, you know, pass along to others. I love that. This is why I ask for book recommendations. I'm always curious to hear. <laughs> is there one that you've loved recently? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, I, I finally read um, The Innovator's Dilemma recently, like over the summer, and I thought that was fantastic. And also, I wish I had read it before because I think there is, I, I think it's mischaracterized, at least in the summaries that I have read. You know, I just, because I, I actually think there's a lot in there about um, understanding what really drives the decisions that your organization is making and transformation. And I thought the core, the core insight that he's sharing is customers control the resources it's not the CEO, it's not the leaders. And so that is, it, it's not that, you know, the the large established company like didn't see the trend coming. They often did in, you know, the, the Kodak example or whatever, but they're beholden in ways to the market that they have already created and are dominating and the customers served there. And that is, it's a competition for resources that prevents them from, from moving forward. So anyway, I just thought that was like an incredible um, I, I've been thinking about it, you know, for several months now, intensely since I since I read that. So, love that because it's like around this these paradoxes, yes, that get in our way. There's another book I read this year which talks a lot about that in terms of leaders and a lot of the paradoxes of leadership and how you know we 
you need to think through that and be agile and be aware. So yeah, interesting. I'm going to check that out. It's very much aligned with them with this good revenue model. Because again, it's the short and long term, right? You can't pick just one. And especially when when you're you know missing numbers or whatever, it's easier to think that it's the it's the short term that's going to save you and you need both. So yeah. um, well, then our last question, then we'll let you go. You've been so generous. What's one piece of advice that you'd offer? I mean, you've, you've given a lot of fantastic advice here and, and some really great learnings, but uh, is there any one particular piece of advice? Um, hmm, there's so much, but I will say like one thing that really struck me, I had the privilege of being in a small audience last spring with Coach K, who's the well-known coach for Duke and the American Olympic team, which won. I don't know if you know, but I'm a Blue Devil, so. Oh, <laughs> so you're preaching okay. to the choir over here. Yeah, you know, Coach. <laughs> so one thing he said that I, I just loved, and actually this was came from his mother, was um, you are the driver of your own bus. And make sure that you only put good people on your bus. They'll take you places that you will never get to on your own. And I loved that for so many reasons, but mainly like it comes back to we drive our careers. We make those decisions. We are the drivers of those buses and we pick and choose who's on our team, who we're aligning with, who mentors us, who our personal board of advisors are. But, you know, make those choices, be really intentional about it. And yes, you align and get the best people and the right people and good people on your bus. It's exponential where you go. I fully agree. I think it's a, it's about agency and intentionality. I think you're you're spot on. Well, this has been so wonderful, Carrie. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time and, and sharing so much wisdom with us. I'm so appreciative. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation and the uh, the treat. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. We're a new podcast, so it really helps listeners find us. If you'd like more information on today's episode, check out the show notes or send us a message. 